We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. The summer between my sophomore and junior year of college, I spent a summer in Thailand. And we worked with college students. We were there on a mission trip. We were working with uh, a college, a specific college, and we were teaching English to college students there. And through building those relationships, uh, we would usually teach English through reading the Bible. But one of the trips we did during that summer is we took a trip up north into Chiang Mai. So most of the summer was in Bangkok, uh, but we took a trip up north in Chiang Mai. And we, man, it was, the buses there are nothing like buses here, right? There's people hanging out the door. There's way too many people. I mean, fire code sheriffs would be like, ah, nah. Like here, we would, you'd get pulled over and get ticketed. There's just... There's room for you even to hang on, you're on the bus, right? So just packed with people. It was about a 10-hour drive on this bus, no AC, windows down, crammed with people. And we go all the way up to Chiang Mai. And we stayed in, the, in a village in Chiang Mai, but in this trip, we, we hiked about four hours in to this rice paddy farm. And it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. Right, you. I mean, you're coming over these mountains and just valleys of bright green rice fields. You're like, this, this is amazing. And so we hike in four hours into this village where uh, all of the houses are made out of uh, wood and they're all high, right? Because there's flooding. Um, their rainy season there um, for the rice fields, especially where the rice fields are, it floods a lot. And so they build them up high so that when it floods, it doesn't flood their house. It just <laughs> floods their like, basement or underneath their house, right? But that's usually where they keep the chickens. That's usually where they keep other livestock uh, and things that you know, can swim or um, get out of the way when it floods. So that's where we stayed when we went to this village. Uh, we slept on a like nylon little mat under this house and with chickens running all around, and uh, they woke us up pretty early in the morning. Um, but our mission there, our, our purpose there, was to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus to this villager. So we had, we had an interpreter. And so we are sharing the good news, and, and in this village particularly, there is a mixture of like Buddhism, uh, animism. So they worshipped Buddha, but they also thought the animals like had were gods or had power, godlike powers. Uh, there was a lot of witchcraft, right? Um, the enemy was strong there. Um, but, but we were telling them about Jesus, and this trip we had the Jesus video. If anyone's seen that, it basically showed the gospel uh, of Jesus in a movie. And so I don't, I don't remember exactly how we got a screen and projector in there, Someone carried it. I didn't because I would have remembered that. But somebody carried it in and we showed the Jesus movie to this village in Chiang Mai. And then our, our, we would pause it every once in a while and the interpreter would interpret what's going on. Well, one of the guys in the village was like, hey, 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 I know in the next village over, 
there's this guy, I think he is a Christian. I think he believes this stuff. You guys should go over there and invite his village to come back and watch this movie with us. So we were like, okay, so me and two other guys, I was not the leader. Our, our, uh, our missions group leader led the pack. It was another two and a half hour hike to this next village. And we get into this village. There's one main building in the center of the village and then a bunch of scattered houses all around. And so we go into this, this tribal leader's, this village leader's house. And we go up into his house and we sit with him. And the leader of our, our trip starts talking to him about Jesus. And he starts crying. And I was like, what is going on? And through his tears, he says this, he said, through the interpreter also, he says, I have been praying for six months for God to send somebody because I've been losing hope, losing faith. My son here is plagued with demons. He stopped talking a little while ago. He just sits in my house and he was sitting in the same room as us and he would just sit there and just kind of twitch back and forth. And so we started to talk. He's like, this, you guys are an answer to prayer. I almost gave up. Because for every day for the last about six months, I've been praying for God to heal my son. And so we got to tell him, uh, we got to pray with him. We got to pray over his son. And it was the coolest thing to see as we were praying, the kid sitting in the corner, twitching. He would outburst every once in a while. All of a sudden he stopped. And he just sat and he looked up at us. And he says, thank you, but in time. I was blown away. Even now that story still brings up a lot of emotion for me. And the, the tribal leader, he's like ecstatic, right? He, he just sees his, that, those are the first words his son has said in a while. His faith is renewed. He's like, this is an answer, but you guys are an answer to prayer. Come to this building. It was their school slash community building slash everything. It was the main building. He's like, I need you guys to come and, and tell my whole village about this Jesus because I've been trying, but they won't listen to me. So we go in and we tell this story of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus to this village. And the whole village hikes back with us to the other village to watch this Jesus video. And a lot of them give their lives to Jesus because they had seen what the power of the gospel had done to this tribal leader's son. And they had heard the good news of the gospel. And they said, we are going to believe this. The story we're going to go through in Acts today, in Acts 5. I'm going to give a brief overview. It's uh, last week, Chris talked about um, the church being united in faith. And then Ananias and Sapphira hold back something and then judgment comes upon them right then and there. They're a part of this community. 
They hold back some of the sale from their lands, from some of the profit, some of the proceeds from selling land. And Peter calls them out and says, how could you do this? How could you be led by the devil? And they drop dead right then and there. The story continues in Acts 5. Uh, We're going to kind of go over 12 through 42. It's a big chunk. Um, So I'm not going to read the whole thing. But in 12, it says, Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them. I, just to pause, I, I, I think that part is funny, right? So right before this, Ananias and Sapphira are, are a part of this community. And what the other community sees is they sinned, they held back something, and they dropped dead. So now in this part of the story, they're like, yeah, no one really hung out with them anymore. No one dared join them. Just in case, right? Just in case. I don't want to drop dead. I think what actually was going on there was it was more of the, what we'll later see, more of the Sadducees and and, uh, religious leaders that wouldn't dare join them um, because they knew they were being hypocrites. But anyway, no one else dared join them, but the people spoke well of them. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. As a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a multitude came together from the town surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. From here, Peter uh, and the apostles get thrown in jail, right? The Sadducees hear about this. They see uh, all of these men and women uh, now following Peter and the apostles, all of these women joining the church, all of these men and women, this large community now believing in this Jesus that Peter and John and the apostles are preaching rose from the dead, was resurrected on the third day, which the Sadducees did not believe in. They didn't believe in resurrection, so for them, it was their preaching heresy. They're heretics. They're, they're preaching and teaching something that is not true. And so they throw them in jail again. This is the second time, actually, the Sadducees have thrown them in jail. And so they throw them in jail. An angel comes to them and lets them out. There's debate on what that looked like or, or how that was. But an angel shows up to them. They get out of jail, and the angel tells them, instead of preaching and teaching Jesus outside, right outside of the temple, now go inside the temple and preach Jesus. Teach the people about Jesus. This angel of the Lord says, you've been on the outsides. It's getting you in trouble. Now go right to the heart of it. The Sadducees and the other religious leaders, they gather them together and uh, question Peter and the apostles. Be like, hey, I thought we told you last time, you're not allowed to teach Jesus. You're not allowed to preach this Jesus guy. Stop using his name. 
And they actually say, you guys are trying to pin his blood on us. Which, news break, they were the ones that killed Jesus. But they're like, hey, 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 you guys are trying to pin this on us. We see what you're doing here. You're trying to pin this guy's blood on us. He never rose from the dead. That's not a thing. But you guys are trying to gain control. You guys are trying to take control and power from us. You guys are trying to woo this people, to woo all of these people, to believe in this resurrected Jesus, to give them hope just so you can have more control than we do. Because they were the religious leaders. They were the ones that had the control and the influence and power over the community at that time. They were the ones telling them, this is how you should live. This is what you should believe. And then at the end, Gamaliel, the one dude that was willing to have the boldness to stand up in front of the, uh, the council, says, hey, 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 you better watch out, right? He's like, be careful. Be careful what you're going to do to these kids because uh, the Sadducees wanted to kill him, just like they did Jesus. And Gamaliel steps up and he says, hey, remember this dude, Theodos? He rose up, he was claimed he was somebody, and he had about 400 people following him. When he died, everybody that was following him just kind of dissipated. They broke up. No one followed him anymore. There was another guy, Judas the Galilean, he rose up. The people that fought, when he died, all his followers were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, stay away from these men Uh, just in case you might be fighting against God. If it's of man, when these guys die, they'll be scattered. But if it's of God, you might actually find yourself fighting God. So then they're like, all right, we won't kill them. We'll just beat them and tell them again to stop preaching Jesus. So what is this section of scripture trying to do for us, for us, church, missio? One of the questions we need to ask with this passage of scripture is not just what is it saying, right? We could read the story, be like, well, that's a cool story. It's a cool story of standing up to the man. It's a cool, a cool story of God healing people through Peter and the apostles. But not what is it just saying, but what is it trying to do? I believe that Luke with this chapter um, and the text before it with Ananias and Sapphira is a picture of the church, a picture of the church representing this new humanity that's called to embody the kingdom of God called to embody this way of life that's found in Jesus. Embody this kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit. With the text this morning, we'll see that when we live as this new humanity, this church, this community, when we live in this community with one another as a display people of what the kingdom of God is like, then our neighbor, our family, our friends, our co-workers, 
will experience the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And as we live like this, we too, Missio, will experience the gospel, that the gospel will bring restoration, resistance, and renewal. You like that pastoral alliteration right there, right? The three R's, restoration, resistance, and renewal. The beautiful thing about living in this life in Jesus and community with one another is that we get to see and experience the beauty and diversity. We're not all the same. And that's a beautiful thing. We get to see the beauty of God's image and his creation of one another. This is the beauty of God's kingdom. What it will look like when he returns, we get to embody that now. We're commissioned to live in community as a new humanity in this, in this season. In this, we, call, we call it, a lot of times we call it the already, not yet. Where the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus, he has already ushered that in through his death and resurrection. But we do not yet see and get to taste and live in what that looks like in full reconciliation and restoration. We still see the lingering effects of the curse and sin in creation, in our relationships, in death and sickness. This way of living in community in the kingdom of God that has already come in the person of Jesus gives us a glimpse of what was at the beginning, before the curse, and what is to come when Jesus returns. We get a taste of what it was like at the beginning of creation with the first humans and the relationship they had with one another, with the creator, and with creation. We also get a glimpse of what it will be like one day in the future when Jesus returns and brings the fullness of his kingdom to earth so that God will once again dwell with his people. When we embody this new humanity, miss you, in our personal lives and in the context of community with one another, when the world, our city, our neighbors, our workplaces look at us and see a diverse group of people who don't share the same social status, don't share the same marital status or political status or political views, educational uh, status, economic, age. And yet we gather together on Sundays and in each other's homes on a regular basis to spur one another on to love, and to love God and love others well. It will look like good news. The beauty of this is that one day when Jesus comes back, in Revelation it tells us that all tribes, tongues, and nations will glorify him. All tribes, tongues, peoples will sit at the banquet table, will eat with one another. People from all different cultures, countries, Skin colors will sit at the same table, not because they share the same views on everything, but because they are all rooted in Christ. This is what we're called into. 
This is the story we get to be. This is the people that we get to embody in the world around us. Oftentimes we're at odds with one another. And that's going to happen. But what a beautiful community where we're all different ages, from the old to the babies, all different economic status, from all different places, from different cultures. Gathering together on a Sunday morning or in someone's home, not just to hang out, not just to have fun, but to grow together in Christ-likeness. But make no mistake, this new humanity, if if we are truly living like this, embodying what this community looks like, embodying the kingdom of God, this will look weird. People might look at you and be like, dude, wait, 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 wait. I know they are like way Republican and I know they are way Democrat and yet they hang out together. I know they're really old and I know they're really young and they hang out together. I know they have nothing and they could buy whatever they want. And they hang out together and share a meal together. I know they're from this culture. And I know from they're, they're from this culture and they hang out together. It's going to look weird. You're going to be like, How, why? Why do you hang out with them? Why would you do that? Because we get to embody this new humanity that Jesus calls us into. And this new humanity will look like good news to those who recognize they need a savior to deal with their sin. It will look like good news to those who recognize they need a story that offers hope to where they are right now and what they're dealing with and trying to survive. This community will look like good news to those who not just need hope for today, but for the future. To those who are poor in spirit and humble and need hope and healing in life. But this community is not going to be good news to everybody. This weird, different, awkward community who loves Jesus is not going to be good news to everyone. We saw with the Sadducees, right? The Sadducees, it says the high priest rose up and um, and all who were with him who belonged to the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. It's not going to be good news to everybody. While this community and this way of life, this, this new humanity living out the, the gospel of, of Jesus, representing a new humanity, a new kingdom, 
will bring restoration to some. It's going to bring resistance from others. Not everyone's going to find this community safe. Jealousy will creep in. It's easier to see and witness some of the resistance, the consequences of living out the ways of Jesus in other countries than it is here. I ran across this story from a newsletter that I, I get every once in a while. It just kind of shows the resistance that is very present in other countries. So I'm going to share it with you. The guy's name, I think, has been changed because he's still working in this country. In fact, I know it's been changed. I know his name's not Billy. But in the story, it's Billy. But Billy lives in Somalia. Somalia might be the worst, one of the most dangerous places in the world to be a Christian. The decades of conflict have gutted the country's infrastructure, and Somalia's economy ranks among the, it ranks as dead last among all nations. In Somalia, it's not a matter of if you will experience a terrorist attack, but when you will experience it. Billy was born into a religious family in Mogadishu. His father was a tribal and religious leader who had memorized the entire Koran. Out of curiosity, Billy started studying an English Bible alongside his Koran. And after three years of study, he converted to Christianity. He learned a lot from Christian radio broadcasts from the Sekelis in Kenya. And it was on the radio that he first heard the voice of another Somali who was a Christian. Billy's family threatened him when he confessed his new faith. And that was when he first began to understand the words of Paul in 2 Timothy 2 or 3. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Six years after his conversion, Billy met his first Christian Somali. Six years after he converted to Christianity is when he met his first fellow Christian. Together, as underground Christians, they gathered 14 believers and started an underground church. A year later, Muslims discovered the growing Christian community and started persecution in earnest. One of their church members, Laiban, now a famed Somali martyr, was the first to be murdered. Then a doctor who attended the church was shot to death. An educator was kidnapped and ex- executed. A Christian man and his Muslim wife were executed together in their bedroom. And another church member was taken off a bus and executed in broad daylight. Twelve in all were murdered. Twelve out of the 14 were murdered. And none of those murders were ever prosecuted. Today, just the two members that have survived out of the original church of 14, Billy and one other, they escaped many attempts on their lives before moving to another country. Billy, from the base in a a new country, he travels in and out of Somalia, planting and nurturing underground house churches. 
No longer are there only 14 Christians in Mogadishu, but the church is quietly growing, partly because of the testimony of those 12 who have died for Christ. I think for us, church, it's, it's, it's important for us to recognize and remember that in so many other parts of the world, this good news means your very life. That the struggle to live as this new humanity and, and embody this new kingdom in other parts of the world means you probably will die pretty soon. That thought processes of if I commit my life to this, I know what the consequences might be. So I think it's important for us to remember that. And I also think it's important for us to kind of reflect on what we think is resistance to the gospel here in our country. Sometimes it might... (laughs) Steve and I were joking about this this morning. Sorry to call you out, Steve. But we were saying, you know, like for us, persecution or resistance to the gospel and the good news of Jesus is uh, changed Christmas cups. Or it might be happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. Now those are frivolous, right? And those might be resistance to the gospel. And there are, other, there are things that uh, our culture, as our broader culture, at whole, because of the story and the narrative they're believing is actively working against the gospel. There are things that our governments and our leaders, our neighbors, our co-workers, because of the story and the narrative they believe, will defend and fight for that narrative. That's what we do because of the story we believe. And so there is going to be resistance. There is going to be pushback because this true story, a story that calls us to give up our rights, a story that calls us to humility, a story that calls us to love our neighbor instead of fight against them. A story that calls us to care for the poor, the marginalized, instead of use them to gain control and power and influence, is a story that stands in opposition to every other narrative in our culture. So there is going to be resistance. But I think oftentimes in our culture, because of how individualized the gospel has become for us, we don't see we don't see the good news of what this means for community. I think oftentimes we identify more as the victims 
and we forget what living out this way of Jesus means for so many other people in the world. I think sometimes we can appear more as the Sadducees than the apostles. You see, the Sadducees, in order to keep control and power, they compared themselves with the apostles and saw them as a threat to that control and power and thus found themselves in competition with them and ultimately fighting against and in competition with what God was doing. We must examine our own hearts and lives. What areas in our own life, in our own hearts, are we trying to maintain control and power? And to get a sense of that control, we compare that area We compare our lives with people around us. And then unknowingly to them or to us, we find ourselves in competition with them. We find ourselves in competitions with others and maybe even people in our own community, our own family, our own workplace. The areas we want to control in our life, finances, our spirituality, Parenting, school, work, time, family. Things we want to control. Oftentimes it's those areas we look to compare ourselves with everyone around us. We're comparing like, okay, I'm doing better than them. Uh, I'm not doing as good as them. Okay, I'm kind of in the middle. I, I think I'm good. But what happens when we start comparing is we find ourselves in competition with those people. When control is at the root of an area of our life, then the fruit of that area will be competition. And when we are in competition with someone in our family or our church or our MC or our neighbor, we're no longer for that person. In the words that Gamaliel said in verse 39, he says this, but if um, you may even be found fighting against God, we might actually find ourselves fighting against what God is trying to do in our community because we're so concerned with winning or looking better or having more or having control. Instead of rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep, when we're competing with others, we actually end up weeping over those who are rejoicing and rejoicing over those who are weeping. Instead of being a community that is of one heart and mind and everything in common, we look like the rest of the world. Divided, competing, fighting, making sure we're heard, making sure everyone else knows we're right and they're wrong. But when we're able to live in the truth 
that because of what Jesus has already done through his life, death, and resurrection, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that he has sent to help us to live out this new identity as the, as the new humanity, our hearts and minds will be renewed when the resistance and opposition comes. This new humanity, this community can bring restoration to the broken. With that will come resistance. But also living this out renews our hearts and our souls. In verses 41 and 42, after they have gotten beaten, So the Sadducees, after they called in the apostles and had them flogged, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and released them. And then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing. They have just been flogged. They had just been beaten. And they leave this place rejoicing. That they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name of Jesus. Every day in the temple, they went back right into the heart of the temple. Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Not only did the beating not dissuade them from continuing to preach this gospel, what was meant to create fear in them and in the community actually renews their strength and they leave rejoicing. How? Why did they rejoice when, that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully and beaten on behalf of the name of Jesus? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, 16 through 17, Jesus, uh, not Jesus, Paul tells us the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we also may be glorified with him. They just suffered for the sake of Jesus. A few days, maybe a few weeks before this, they had run and hide. They had run and hid. They ran and they hid to avoid the suffering with him. They denied him. They saw the suffering that he was going to go through and they said, nope. But now, filled with the Spirit, they actually find life and joy through suffering with him. In the same way that Jesus' suffering and death led to the newness and fullness of life, now his disciples share in the suffering, they also find true life. Not just someday, but now. So, Missio, as we embody this new humanity, this is what we're called to. This is the community we get to live out. Let's be real. It's hard. It's hard to live in community. It's easier to deal with myself. I know what goes on in my heart. 
I think I can fix it. But allowing others to see my mess and sitting in the mess of others is hard. Because it requires a humility, being poor in spirit, enough to say, I don't need control. But because of the Holy Spirit, I now have life and freedom in the person of Jesus. So because of that Holy Spirit that now lives inside of me, I can trust the community that Jesus has placed me in. And the community's not going to always get it right. We're not always going to say the things we should say. In fact, oftentimes we will probably say things we probably shouldn't say. But the beautiful thing of community is that others see the blind spots that I don't see. Others see areas in my life of like, ah, I don't think you're trusting Jesus with this. I think you're trying to keep control. So it requires this humility, this poor in spirit to say, you're right. Thank you for speaking into my life. We talked yesterday in the reading the Bible cohort about the importance of not just reading the Bible individually, but in community. Reading the Bible individually in your quiet time and your own time is important. But what would it look like if we read the scriptures together in community? And some of our MCs do that. If not, let your MC leader know we need to spend some time in the word. Because if we're just reading this word, if we're just reading God's word individually, we're going to read it through our own biases, our own bents, our own prejudices. We are enculturated with family generations of stuff. And we're going to read ourselves into into the story in ways that's unhealthy. But in community, reading it together, people are going to be able to speak into things, experience different things, hear different things, jump, things, different things will jump out with one another. And we can edify one another to be and look more like Jesus. So as we get to embody this new humanity, When the world, our city, or our neighbors look at us, miss you, and see a diverse group of people who are very different in all walks of life, gather together on Sundays, gather together on a weekly basis in someone's home to spur one another on to love and to love God and love others well, it will look like good news but it will also bring resistance. Our story, our mission, the story that we're invited into, this new humanity that we get to display is to spur one another on through the power of the Holy Spirit to be and look 
more like Jesus. And in so doing, become a display people of the kingdom of God to the world. This is what the early church experienced. Healing, restoration, not by their own doing, but because of the spirit that lived inside of them that was sent by Jesus and God the Father. They experienced that restoration, but they also experienced resistance. And when that resistance came, because they knew they were being faithful, not to their own ideologies, but to the faithfulness of Jesus and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That same story renewed their own hearts and their own strength to continue to go back into the temple and preach the good news. Let's pray.